experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I had Tommy Herschel stop into the beach shack and told his story when he grew up at Tugan on the Gold Coast and uh, the tough times he went through as a teenager and also tells about now how he started the charity, Find Your Feet, and the experiences that he went through now can help others by going to schools, sporting communities, and having his workshops, which are now getting people to speak about the issues they have, and it is really resonating with a lot of people. So now sit back and listen to my chat with Tommy. This week in the Beach Shack, we've got Tommy Herschel. He's got a great story. It'd be good to catch up with him. How are you, Tommy? Yeah, good. Thanks, Hoppo. Mate, sitting here in my Land Rover Defender studio on wheels, mate. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no better setting, mate. Yeah, mate, that is it. I always say to people, this is a little bit of therapy on wheels, the old truck. The smell, mate, it's just perfect. <laughs> well, mate, let's start where you grew up and tell us about... Uh, that's time of your life. Mate, grew up in Churgan on the Goldie, southern end of the Goldie, mate. Um, right where, if you've ever been to the Gold Coast, they call it the Coolangatta Airport, mate. But anyone who grew up there knows it's the Churgan Airport, mate. We're, we're very proud now. We've got the Churgan Airport, International Airport. We've got the tip. Mate, we've got a five-way interse- intersection. And uh, unfortunately, mate, they built the Churgan Bypass, or we call it Churgan Bifast, because it took about 18 years <laughs> to build. And, mate, just a perfect little town, you know, on the Goldie where... Rode your bike to school and, um, you know, I went to Palm Beach, Currumbin and I went to Currumbin State School. So I rode my mangle to school from, you know, grade two along the bike track and, and mate, grew up surfing every morning and, and every afternoon. And, and the ocean for me was, was that place where, where I, I, geez, a few things, you know, I hid, I escaped what was going on on the land, but mate, I had fun. You know, days when it was huge, you'd, you'd run down to North Kira and, and you'd body surf your whole way back, you know, and um, my best mate was Stewie Russell. And, and yeah, mate, we, we were the sort of sort of fellas who, by the age of 18, we were, we were sitting above the intersection at Churgan there with a jug of beer and, and that was our world and we, and we loved it. So great little town to grow up in. I, I live now down in Avalon in Sydney, but I, I'm lucky enough to be able to go home two or three days a week and, and still connect with family and friends and... Yeah, home's home, you know. It's that place where you land and you, you take that deep breath and, and you just feel good. Yeah, mate, it would have been uh, great growing up up there. And uh, you're not far from me. I'm at Newport at the moment, so, yeah, not far away. there. Uh, okay, mate, yeah. Well, they call this the bubble, right? I came down here 17 years ago and they call it the bubble. And, and with the work that I do, you know, like to be able to land at Sydney Airport and, and rush home to the bends and then get around those bends and be in that bubble, Mate, there's not many other many places in the world. You know, I'm a pretty proud Queenslander, and and to say that uh, that I love it down here and, and south of the Tweed is is always contestable conversation. But <laughs> where in the world can you have you know Pittwater on one side, the Pacific Ocean on the other? You got the Hawkesbury River, Coal and Candle Creek, Brisbane waters. You know, some of the best waves. And then to the south, you know, you've got one of the best cities in the world, and you know the best harbors. And then you've only got Five five hours and and you're almost in the outback, you know, when you go to places like Tullamore and Narromine and Dubbo. So, yeah, mate, absolute heaven for me. 
Yeah, it's a great spot. Now, mate, well, it's, you, you touched on when you were 18, you know, you were hanging around the beaches, surfing, you know, that culture, the beach culture can be good, but it can also be bad. So tell us about, uh, yeah, next steps from there and, and into where you started work after you left school. Yeah, well, mate, I mean, for me, the, the beach culture, I guess, I lo- like, I love the title of your podcast, Life's a Beach, but it can also be a bitch and I guess I really relate to that in the sense of my, my old man sort of took off when I was when I was 10 years old and it's interesting mate every time I talk about that I take a big deep breath because you know that it's sort of what I call in life and the work that I do that that's sort of my rock you know and, and if I don't work on my rock I trip over it a lot but it's you know a rock is that heavy dark thing you know that in your life can if not managed you can trip over it a lot and it can seem to dictate your behaviours um, but for me, you know, that was when, when the old man took off at 10 years of age and moved to, he moved to far North Queensland and, and mum had a new partner and all that sort of stuff. For me, the, the beach was still that place that when I was, you know, in, in, as soon as I was in waist deep water, those thoughts were sort of gone, you know, and it was, um, it was an opportunity to escape. You know, the Goldie is pretty much dictated by, for me, it was back in those days, dictated by a few things. You know, there was the westerly wind that arrived on the 1st of April. You look forward to your offshores, the southwest, and then, you know, early spring or the 1st of September blew the northerlies and, and January, February through to March, April was your, your cyclone season. And, and that was my world until, you know, the, um, I was 10 years of age and, 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 you know, my whole world sort of changed to, being the kid who escaped to the ocean still to get that respite. The respite now was, uh, you know, escaping a world where I was, mate, completely insecure. Didn't really know the man I was allowed to be, if that makes sense. I knew the person I was, but in and around the society I was in, I had to be someone else. I, I, I was a smart ass. I was loud. I was all these things to sort of fill this hole, you know, that had been that had been sort of dug by by the family sort of breaking down. So, you know, by the age of eighteen I mentioned, you know, my mate Stewie and I would be sitting there drinking schooners on the, looking over the intersection at Chugan. I stopped going to nightclubs when I was seventeen, you know. <laughs> so that sort of says a says a little bit about my timeline. But you know, alcohol sort of after finishing up with school and being that little smart ass at school and for me, alcohol became um, an awesome way to fill that hole as well. And I'd probably honestly say, mate, for a long time there, my relationship with the ocean got clouded because of that addiction with alcohol. And, and you know, my trips to the beach of a morning, instead of being that place where I'd, I'd be waiting for that south swell or on the Goldie, the east swell is what we loved most being from Chugan, the home of the straight hander, mate, where I'm from, Chugs. Instead of being that place that I waited for that swell or enjoyed those morning waves and laughed, it became that place where I washed away the hangover and and sort of planned, you know, my next session. So, yeah, like mate, I um I'm really proud to be from Chugan and where I'm from and and where I've come from and what I've achieved. But for me, yeah, like I could honestly say, um, I lost my relationship with the ocean in a way there, and I. And, and I've actually never spoken on this and maybe thought about it too much, but I, I just started to use it for probably the wrong reasons. Yeah. As you said, with the alcohol addiction, it can, you can spiral out of control quite quick. And we'll touch on what you're doing now um, a bit later, but you could probably see how people can really go off the rails quite easily. Oh, mate, it is. Hollow. you're right. It, mate, it is like 
I always, so a great mate of mine is a fellow I'm sure you've come across, um, Kai Hurst, you know, as we know, one of the great watermen of all time. And, and Hurst, he's got his story and it's his story to tell, right? But I know as a best mate of his, he's been through some, a lot of trauma, right? And he's never told the story. And like I said, that's his story to tell. And I always explain in workshops in life, we call it, you know, my organization's called Find Your Feet. We give young people a platform to tell their story, skills to own their stuff, and then like the tools to shift the culture. And and one of the things that I talk with young fellas about and blokes in general is this ability to go left, which is doing all the easy things. So when we get faced with a trauma, I was the bloke that turned left into the easy lane and drank heaps of grog, um, had a heap of like relationships that were not healthy, was that smart ass in school, played the victim, behaved like a victim. Whereas Hursty was a bloke who, when faced with severe trauma, and, 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 I'll, and I'll be honest, much bigger than mine, he was the bloke who went right and trained harder, trained longer, um, made sacrifices, um, owned the situation he was in, and then goes on to win an Uncle Toby's, you know, at 17 years of age. So, yeah, that, that alcohol is um, – and, mate, I'll be honest, like I have the odd beer still now and again. I love a beer, you know, I love a cold beer. But my relationship now with beer is it's not to get drunk and do the two things we're allowed to do when we get drunk, which is be emotional and get angry. I now drink a beer because I bloody love the taste of a beer. But I also do this other thing where I set my boundaries, you know, like I'll go down the pub and I'll go, boys, I'm here for a quick two you know, um, or a fast three, then I'm out, you know, I'm bringing in the ropes. Like I, I know when to declare now. Um, and I know that the next day my anxieties aren't going to be as good as they could have been if I stayed off the grog at all. So my discipline in and around it has become so much better, but back on what you were saying of, of that alcohol, you know, letting us do those two things, you know, I, I was the fellow that would go out and drink heavily and be a full smart ass and, and doing all the stupid shit and then come home and, and cry on my own. I'd ring the boys the next day and go, hey, like, what happened last night? They go, oh, mate, you were sweet. And I was like, jeez, did I do something stupid? They go, yeah, but don't worry, you were drunk. And they go, oh, no. And, and one of the boys might say, oh, mate, you kept telling old mate how much you loved him and you're in tears. And, and I'll be going, oh, no, sorry about that, mate. Don't worry about it. You know, you were drunk. And these are the two things that I couldn't do when I was sober, which is have healthy avenues for my aggression like and my anger. And, and also healthy avenues to show or impress the boys. So instead of being a dickhead and doing stupid stuff to impress the boys, what I like to do now to impress my mates is go, hey, boys, like, I'm actually not going to do that. And I'm actually not even impressing them, I guess. I'm, I'm impressing myself. You know, I'm finally standing up for myself by going, you know what, boys? Like, no, I'm not up for a, an all-day. I'd love an all-day at the bat and ball um, hotel. But you know what? I, I, I'm not up for it. Like, I just can't do it. And, you know, the other way is being able to be sober and go, hey, um, mate, I bloody love you. Love you for who you are. You're a good bloke. And, mate, I was really lucky. That was brought into my world by a great mate. Um, and, and we call this again, like, this is another tool and skill I give to young fellas and blokes in general, the find your feet farmer's dog. A good mate, right, is going to pull you up on that shitty behaviour. When you're always on the grog and you're always playing up and you're always playing the victim, young fellas always say, you know, oh, you, look, you know what, they're my mates, it doesn't matter. Right, and there's this rule that young fellas use and blokes use in general. You don't dog your mates, you don't snitch on them. And I always say to them, "Well, you know what? Like for a long time, I sort of my mates that I was hanging around with growing up sort of enabled me to be that dickhead. None of them really stepped up and said, "Oi, what's going on, mate? Like, why are you behaving like that? Like, come on, you're better." 
until I had a night, mate, where I completely capitulated and I did what I and I did what I did every night and I cried into a bottle and, you know, punched holes in walls and was awfully behaved and I'd ring a mate and I'd go, mate, no one knows what it's like, no one cares. And uh, one night he literally just said down the phone, mate, F off, like, don't ring me like this anymore, mate. I'm done with it. And I was shocked. I was sobered up straight away and and I went, in my head, I remember this voice going, this is a real mate. This is what a mate does. And, um, and, and he said, I love you, mate. And that's why I'm doing this because I'm sick of these phone calls. You're better than this. And he said, I'm better than this. I deserve better than this. And he goes, your family deserves better. And I remember in that moment, like thinking, geez, this is like, this is like the farmer's dog in a sense of we kick those closest to us because they rarely bite. They rarely pull us up. But this bloke, you know, like pulled me up. He bit back and he said, man, I'm sick of this. You know, I've had enough. So, you know, I, I call that the farmer's dog because a lot of young blokes will say, oh, the boys give me grief about this. They tease me about that. But it doesn't matter. They're my mates. And I go, well, you know, why does it matter that it's just your mate? You know, what if I said it to you? What if I pulled you up? We go, oh, I'd get angry at you. We go, okay. So that's something that's clearly like in our thoughts and our conscious. We know we're doing the wrong thing. We're actually looking for a mate to reach out and go, hey, like, I want to help you be better. I want to set a standard. And to do that, I've got to be honest with you and pull you up. So, yeah, mate, it was a it was a good thing for me, like a blessing for me that a mate actually stood up to me that night and said, mate, the alcohol is just driving you down the wrong path. And and he did, you know, what, what the farmer's dog should do. And, and instead of letting him kick him all the time because the you know, it won't, it won't rain or it won't stop raining or the bloody head is broken. You know, the dog bit him and said, stop biting me. You know, I'm your mate. I'm here to help you. So, yeah, hopefully that makes sense, mate, the old farmer's dog. But, yeah, alcohol can be a demon. Yeah, 100%, mate. Makes sense. And, and we'll move on to now. How did Find Your Feet come about? And obviously it probably stems from what you just said then. It's the reality check. And then, but did that give you a vision of once you help yourself, there's a potential that I'll be able to help a lot of other people because I've been through something similar? Yeah, big time, mate. And, and I think the reality of it too, of just being honest along that journey, I think there's a lot of people out there that have had these epic, um, gosh, call them epiphanies, moments in life, but then they, they all of a sudden take on this, this persona of, you know, I'm an expert at this or I'm a clean living so-and-so, you know, like... Mate, I'm, I start 99% of workshops being completely honest of where I'm at at the time and I'll be vulnerable and I'm open and, you know, I'm um, boys and fellas who I'm talking to, I go like, I'm just like one of you lads. I've just had a journey and, and this is it and this is what I've learned along the way. Um, mate, I was really lucky that, you know, um, I, we call, I call it a find your feet like the laundry pile, right? Um, there's an old saying, don't air your laundry. And I always say, well, what happens if we don't air our laundry? You know, it's just going to pile up. You know, and as blokes, we struggle to be able to talk about our stuff. And and <clears throat> that was me, you know, and my, my, my laundry piled up. And that night that I that I mentioned, you know, it, I went completely off the rails and and, and I behaved in a way of, of what, what my what my counsellor calls, you know, like the wounded boy, you know. And there's a wounded boy that lives in me from that trauma I went through as a young bloke that I never faced. Um, and then there's a functioning adult. And it's the, the battle between going between the wounded boy and the functioning adult. But, you know, I was always struggling to get to that place. And, and that night that I lost it, you know, a mate planned it in my head of, hey, like, you can be better, mate. And I'll never forget, you know, um, and, 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 and the fellow before me, Tommy Carroll, one of the greats, I texted Tommy at about four in the morning. And, and, 
And Tommy's a great man. He's been on an incredible journey. And, and I said to him, Tommy, like, I need a hand. I just, I want to face a few things and, and I'd love to have a chat with you. And, mate, he wrote back at like four or something in the morning, Tommy, I'm going to tow you into the best way of your life. And for me, that wave was someone meeting a man like Tom who didn't have any masks on. He was completely honest and he was completely genuine. I fronted up to a place in Sydney, like a rehab place, I guess you could call it. And I walked in and, and I said to the lady, hey, like, I need help. I need a hand. And, um, and she said, oh, we don't take walk-ins. And I said, well, I'm not going effing anywhere. I had my little dog with me. And this lady ran from out the back and she just put her arms out. And I didn't know who she was. I just fell into her arms and fell on the floor and cried for like 20 minutes. And, and while I cried around me, I could hear people having conversations. And, mate, there were sex addicts, drug addicts, love addicts, food addicts, alcoholics, like all of the addictions, right, you could think of. And I remember listening to them and thinking none of these people – are wearing a mask like I have been for 25 years. None of them are uh, afraid to air their laundry. They're just talking about their stuff. And I remember just having this moment of going like, wow, I can take off my mask. I no longer have to pretend to be someone else. I can actually be Tommy Herschel and start to rebuild who he is. Um, and, mate, I'll be honest, it's been eight years since that moment. And I'll tell you what, um, it's a little bit like, building a, a duplex on a, on a mound of tissues. It's, uh, it falls over all, all the bloody time, but I get back up and go at it again. And, and mate, I, I just remember in that moment, I'm a school teacher by trade. I remember in that moment going, you know what, like this, I, I went to a few men's groups after that that were pretty proper, like pretty serious narcotics anonymous and alcoholics anonymous. And I never did narcotics cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got enough going on as it was with the grog, but, I remember being in there and just going, wow, like, this is just a really simple formula, like how this is working. This is people sitting around and just being honest and, and no one's allowed to jump in and ask questions. People are just listening. So I found that incredible that it was so simple, yet blokes were leaving and women were leaving when I go to women's, you know, mixed ones and they were leaving just going, geez, it's better for getting that off my chest. And and like I mentioned, I'm a chalky by trade school teacher. I remember being in school throughout that period and, and I was always a relief teacher because I just loved getting around to different schools and had this kid coming in who was knackered, mate, you know, beaten for pace all the time, grade two he was. And I wasn't allowed to know what was going on, you know, it was a confidentiality thing. And I remember asking him all the time, what's going on, what's going on? And, the, and he couldn't tell me, principal wouldn't tell me. And I said to the principal, mate, how am I meant to teach this young fella if I don't know what's going on for him. It's a little bit like me being a mechanic and someone coming in going, oh, there's a noise with this car and I go to look underneath it or put on the hoist and the, and the guy and they go, oh, you're not allowed to put it onto a hoist. Like I've got no way to work with that car unless I can look at it and look in it. And then that wasn't happening, you know, with, with a lot of the things that I was seeing at schools, you know, piles of confidentiality agreements that principals had and Teachers weren't allowed to know these backgrounds. Anyway, eventually one day this, this young fella gave me his story and it was brutal. And I found out, you know, that he was sleeping on his on this couch and um, his mum and her new boyfriend were, you know, they had their own world, right? And he was pretty neglected. So just from having that honest conversation with him, every day when he'd come into class after that, I'd say, oh, a young fella. You know, I won't say his name. I'd say, oh, a young fella, go and get on that couch up the back and have a kip, 45-minute hour kip he'd have. And, mate, he'd come back all bright-eyed, brushy-tailed. And, and for the next five hours, mate, he was on. And, and I remember thinking, you know, like, 
that's as simple as it is. Like we just need to have some empathy and understanding for some, for others. And then we're able to operate in and around them. So that's where find your feet was, was born from there, but also from this incredible young fella called Bass Marjorie, who who I met when I was 15. Uh, he was sorry, 15 and a half. I was 32. And mate, Bass was every bit the man that I wasn't. He was genuine. He was selfless. He was a leader. He wasn't led by others. Mate, I did what everyone else wanted me to do to fit in. I was a selfish prick and, you know, I was my own man when I was on my own because that was safe. But when I was with everyone else, I was someone else. So I wasn't real. But, mate, one of the last things he did before he passed away was he said to his mum and dad, I want to stand up and touch the ground one more time. And and I've got this vision of him, you know, in the backyard looking out into the sun and, and he says to his mum and dad, like, love life, don't waste it. And he died about four hours after that. And, and I remember, mate, when his mum rang me to tell me that story, I remember I was probably on my eighth or ninth beer looking at my kids and I remember this and, and my wife who, you know, I, I'd put through the ringer and, and, um, and I remember just thinking I'm not loving life and I'm wasting it and I'm doing all the easy things. Like every day I just do the same thing and I expect change, you know, so back to that left and right thing, I was just going left. I was never facing my shit and going right. So it really hit me that this moment of, hey, like, we've just got to be able to stop and find our feet the way Bass did, touch the earth and connect with it and think about what's the best thing I can do in this moment. Now, the reality for a lot of people is, and blokes in general, and I and I say blokes because I grew up in the bloke culture. A lot of us will say, you know, there's this law. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to have a lot of conversations about heavy stuff because the minute we do, a bloke will say, hey, come on, mate, we're bloody having a beer. Don't, don't drag us down there. Or someone will go, mate, don't worry about it. Plenty more fish in the sea. Or someone will say, geez, this is getting a bit bloody heavy, isn't it? While you blokes do that, I'll have a beer over here. So we're always getting this messaging that we can't do it or we shouldn't do it. So, you know, there, there was this, this moment of, um, well, let's turn that around, you know. Like, let's shift that culture for me. Let's, let's give fellas the skills to do it and let's do it in the way that a bloke is going to take it on, you know. And so... You know, I go around to schools and have these conversations and, and, and facilitate conversations where young people were able to stand up and be their own selves, be able to own their stuff and then be able to leave the room and go like, Oi, Robbo or, or Hoppo, what's going on with you, mate? You look like shit. You're funny. Look at you, you funny bastard. What's going on? Instead of going, hey, Hoppo, I think we need to um, meet up Monday morning and have a cup of tea. And uh, which is all great, mate, to be able to do that as well. But I sort of found like there was this almost elitism, elitism that was coming in that, and let's Aussieify this a bit, like, or just blokeify it and and make it a conversation. So, you know, I always say the fella that I want to appeal to the most, if this bloke is listening and he's and it's hitting home with him, then find your feet is hitting its call it a KPI, and that is the the, the person who's been out on a header all day and working their ass out and, and then they're in the pub and they're having two or three schooners, if they can go, you know what, geez, if all I've got to do is buddy listen, then yeah, I can do that. Then we've achieved, I've achieved what I want to achieve with Find Your Feet. Yeah, hopefully, mate, I've given you there and I haven't gone all about 18 roundabouts for you. I can waffle, mate. I'll wake up after this with your earlobes <laughs> in my mouth. I'm good at that. Oh, good, mate. <laughs> Very, very well. It's very well said, mate. It'll uh, resonate with a lot of people, I reckon. But so now you're you're doing it just with with kids at, at schools and and also obviously adults as well will take it all in. 
what I found too, when I do a lot of interviews and speak to people, and you'd be aware of this now too, when you've got a lot of ambassadors on board, young kids look up to role models, but they see like they don't never ever have any problems yeah. like, because they're only seeing they're winning Olympic gold medals. They're, they're, they're on TV. They're whatever they're doing. They don't see that these people all have major problems or issues throughout their life as well. Mate, it's epic. Yeah. We, and, and mate, I've started this thing. I mean, like I said, we've got some incredible ambassadors, you know, Geez, I, I worry that I'll miss a few, but I mentioned a few, you know, like guys like Matty Hayden, Mitch Marsh, Sam Riley, Jeff Hugel, Whippet, um, Benny Player, Rob Bain, um, Dale Finucane's just come on board, Nico Hines, geez, I am, Mad Jack Daw, you know, he's got an incredible story. Kai Hurst, gosh, my best mate. You know, all of these people who I always say, like, let's go beyond the winner's circle. And, and let's look at these people exactly like you said, in, in, as who they are and how they got to where they are. And, and, and actually the people that they are, and a great example of that, and this is where Matty Hayden's like, I mean, there's a rule with find your feet. You're an ambassador, but you're a mate first, right? And then if you're an ambassador and, you, and you're a mate, you're actually involved. It's almost like the Patagonia model. Like you actually work with find your feet. You're not there for the red carpet. You're actually there to give us your story and, and, and mentor young people. And, and I remember with Matty, Mate, I, I, a mate of mine said, hey, I know this fellow who I reckon can help you out, Matty Hayden. I said, mate, I'm in Queensland. I'd love to meet Matty. He texts him from this airport. We're over in the British Virgin Islands having this conference thing. And, um, and mate, Matty writes back within a minute going, what are you doing hanging out with Victorians? Tommy, buddy, oh, let me give you a call when I'm back from India in six weeks. Six weeks later, I, I get this phone call. And then he goes, mate, Tados, I'm on the way home from the airport. Told you I'd call you. I want to know more about what you're doing. Will you come up to Stratty and spend a few days with me? I was like, mate, well, I'd come to Stratty and spend a few days with one of the greatest batsmen of all time and legend. I'll see you there. Anyway, I got up there and, and I'd had a really silly fight with my partner, like which I'm pretty good at. And I remember getting up there and I got to his into his car and I said, mate, and I went left, right? There's an example of me going left. I went, Doss, let's go straight to the Cleveland and have a quick six before this ferry goes. And he goes, turn it up, mate. What are you talking about? I said, mate, I've just had this bloom and missus is this and I just went and I just went off, right? And um and he goes, Mate, when I used to go to India, I'd go over there and I he goes, I'd hit hundreds, I'd hit tons, like I was this, I was that. I was lauded, you know. He goes, I'd come home and I'd walk into the house and I'd go, Hey, why isn't this done? Why isn't that done? You know, and, and I'd get all on my high horse and he goes, I'd have to really pull myself up and put myself into my wife's shoes. And he looked at me and he goes, have you done that, mate, like with what's going on in your world? And I was like, whoa. You know, he gave me that, that farmer's dog moment. He actually bit the behavior I was, I was giving him. And I went, nah, mate, I, I haven't. And he goes, well, why don't you do that? He, uh, he said, do you still want a quick six? I said, nah, 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 let's get to the ferry. He goes, well, why don't we have a quick two and buddy have a yarn and, and let's get to know each other. And I went, wow, like straight away I learned that this man – was a bloke who was going to set a standard for me um, and he wasn't going to accept the shit that I used to give all the time. And, you know, that for me is is exactly what, like, I think the public needs to see and hear in our heroes. You know, I can never relate to Matty Hayden and what it's like to hit 100 on Boxing Day at the MCG, but I can relate to, to Hados when he sits down and he says to me, you know, I say, what's the best bloke and why? On our website, there's a video and he says, you know, my old man, um, he says, you know, he used to go over to the neighbours joint and help them out with their weeds. 
Um, and I said to him, why do you do that? And he said, because if their weeds blow over into my yard, it's only going to create problems for us here. And and I love that we both relate on the fact that, you know, like what are the people you spend the time around with? Who are the people, you know, um, for me, I picked up, you know, what, what sort of lifestyle am I living? And I started to think about my own yard, you know, and that's something that I really be able to relate to him on. And he gave this other epic story too about, you know, Wayne Bennett went up to him one time at a function and said, hey, how come you play so good for Queensland but so shit for Australia? And he reckons he was like, what? And Wayne looked at him and goes, no, 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 don't get bitter at what I said. Just get better. And he said he was like stewed on it for weeks until one day, you know, he's having a run with his wife on Stratty and he got to the top of this sand hill and he reckons he goes, Wayne's right. Like I, I got to get better at what I'm doing and stop being bitter. And and I and to have that conversation with him, like I just went, you know what? I've been bitter my whole life, and I haven't gotten better. You know, and and that's a side of Hados, you know, that we that we don't get to see. You know, that's beyond the winners' circle. You know, like I got to sit with Jeff Hugel the other day in Singapore. Is one of our ambassadors. I should have mentioned. Jeff is just one of the most incredible humans ever, and one of the greatest butterflies of all time, if not the greatest. And Mate, he told this story that, you know, he'd never told before and looking down the camera and, you know, saying if I could say one thing to my father who, who passed when he was 12, you know, I, I love you and I'm sorry, you know, with these incredible tears. I remember, you know, that happened when he was 12 and he moved out and moved in with his coach. I remember sitting there looking at him going, you know what, when my old man left when I was 10 or 11, I just went full smart-ass mode, lunatic, out of control, not knowing what to do. I went left. Jeff Hugel went right moved in with his coach, trained even harder, took it on and then becomes, you know, one of the great butterflies of all time. And, and a quick side story is classic. We're in Singapore at this pool. There's this kid doing butterfly and uh, Jeff's like going, hey, man, you know, try this and try that. And the dad comes over and uh, he's like, man, you know a little bit about butterfly, man. You, you should think about uh, doing some coaching or something. And uh, Jeff's like, yeah, yeah, I love butterfly. You know, I'm really passionate about it. He goes, Oh man, you, uh, geez, you, you could have thought about a career in swimming. And I'm sitting there looking at him going, man, this guy doesn't know that he's talking to one of the greatest of all time. And the beauty of Jeff is he doesn't need to tell this fellow that he was the greatest of all time or could have been one of, he just needs to, he just wanted to give advice and give help. And that, and that's the beauty of these guys like Haydos, Sam Riley, Hursty, all of those people that are involved with us with find your feet is, They've done the journey, they've been on the journey, and they're still on the journey, and um, and they're good, genuine, selfless people. So, yeah, you're right, mate. The ability to go beyond the winner's circle, we all win if we're capable of doing that. Yeah, mate, that's right. And I've seen that as um, just with what we do down at, at the Bondi there at the beach, and it's something that uh, stands out because you hear, especially social media these days, you know, people are posting stuff, kids are looking at it, they think their life's terrible, but everyone else's life's better than what theirs is. But it's not necessarily the fact. No, you're right. Like I this, um, you know, my work is uh, it's all about. So on average, we'll have fifty to eighty, or sometimes to hundred in a room, right? And young people stand up, they tell their story, and other people get to listen, right? They get to empathise with it, and and the kid who's been bullying the geek. He gets to stand up and go, hey, man, like, I had no idea the impact of my behavior. You know, so an exa- I'll give you an example of that. This young fella stands up and he goes, boys, I go home every night. I cry myself to sleep. 
My mum cries herself to sleep. I get told I, I should take my own life. He goes, my dad actually did two years ago. I get apples thrown at my head like life's hell for me and I don't want to be here anymore. And he stood in the middle of this room completely silent, right? Until that moment or up to that moment, he's on his own. You know, even regardless of the fact he's at one of the biggest schools in, in Australia, he's on his own. He feels completely lonely and isolated. A legend stood up. He's a good-looking rooster, popular fella, and he goes, Tommy, can I say some words? I was like, mate, go for it, legend. There would have been 150 in this workshop, and he goes, mate, I reckon I'm like 99% responsible for how shit your life is here at school and at home. And he looks at me and goes, how? He goes, mate, you know I bully you every day. If I'm not bullying you, I encourage others to bully you. If others are bullying you and I haven't even told them, I'll just sit back and watch it. He goes, I just do all the easy behaviours, you know. He goes, I'm weak as piss. He goes, it's, it's going to sound like an excuse. But he said, my dad left when I was four. I've never known how to talk about it and I'm just angry, man. And, and I take it out on you because you're an easy target and, and I'm sorry. He walks over, he hugs his fella. In that moment, right, he, he changed. That kid changed about, I don't know how many lives you could count. But I know for, for a fact he changed the kid's life who'd been bullied. He changed the kid's life, who, the kid's mum, you know, had been big. She doesn't cry herself to sleep anymore. Her young fella gets to come to school and feel safe. Changed his own life by stepping up and owning his stuff and being honest. He's changed his mum's life because, you know, normally he wakes up angry at home and, and tells his mum, go and do this, go and do that, who cares, rah, rah. And all of that anger, you know, that laundry pile, he, he, he'd just given a little bit out, right? And he'd just spoken a little bit on it. And he just felt that little bit of relief, but he'd also had this taste of what it's like to be a proper man, which is a bloke and step up and go, mate, I've been a dickhead. And I've been acting like a dickhead, right? And and that's the language that you'd see in a find your feet workshop. And and so in that moment, those two people that have been, they've, they've empathized with each other, they've heard each other's stories, and there's all that healing. Now, how does that work with an ambassador or in, in other situations in find your feet? I sponsor a young fellow who goes to a private school on the Gold Coast. You know, he's a young fellow who needs structure, needs discipline. You know, so he's his own young man. Nico Hines constantly sends him videos saying, hey, mate, like, this isn't easy for you. Like, Sorry, it isn't going to be easy for you. Like, you're not going to just get handed this on a plate. You know, he says, I didn't get it till I was 23 and I had to go to Mackay, Melbourne, all over the place. And I had to work. So Nico's being completely honest. Talks about his mum and her battle. And he's being completely honest. So this kid gets to see Nico Hines for who Nico Hines is. And he gets to see the makeup of him. And then there's, you know, like the individual stuff. So we've got a bloke on the Goldie now. It's our first one. But we call him a find-your-feet mechanic. So instead of being a find-your-feet youth worker or, or counsellor, young fellas can go, oh, I'm going to see the find-your-feet mechanic. I've got to get my diffs, buddy sorted i've got to get the bearings done or a bit greased up so they can use you know language that's comfortable but all they're really saying is i'm going to air my laundry a bit to you know the mechanic anyway this one young bloke rang me on a friday and he goes he texted me sorry and he goes tommy I, I, he's 14 he goes i can't be here anymore i'm done it's friday it's 4 30 i'm like far out this is heavy i ring him he doesn't answer i texted him i said mate is texting okay at the moment and he said yeah that's all i can do he said, I, I, honestly, though, I'm gone in 20 minutes. I can't do this anymore. And so I just had to ring him, right? I get through to him eventually, he answers. And he's broken. He's a shattered young fellow. We go, mate, we, you know, there's mandatory reporting. So I've got to tell your parents. We've got to get a doctor. And all that stuff happened, right? And for the next three days, we're checking every hour. And this young fella, he, he's turning right all of a sudden. And he's heading into his battle. I ring Mitchie Marsh, who's just 
Oh, mate, far out of motion on that. Like, um, we all know Mitchie Marsh has just become, you know, the Aussie captain. But for someone like myself who's been lucky enough to see what what sort of man Mitch really is, and we've got to see a little bit of that with his cheeky humour, but the, the man that Mitch is, was, man, I told him about this kid because he's a mad cricketer. And Mitchie rang him, mate. Uh, sorry, Mitchie sent a video to him, mate, saying, mate, I'm here for you. What you've done is what a lot of men have been able to do. Keep reaching out. I want to get around you. We're going to start a WhatsApp channel. I'm going to chat with you every day. He's held up his Aussie jersey. He goes, this is my Aussie jersey. I wore in a one-day final. Um, I'm going to give it to you. But he said, on the proviso, that you keep doing what you're doing. And I love that. You know, like he did what my mate did. He set a bar. He didn't say, hey, here's a jersey. Well done for speaking up. He said, mate, here's a jersey. Well done. The work's just begun. And for that young fella, right, there was no fanfare. There's no press conferences. He doesn't go to school and go, Mitch Marsh is talking to me. He goes to school going, wow, here's someone who's achieved so much. And Mitch talked a lot about, you know, his issues through cricket and, you know, his battles and ups and downs. He then gets, this young fella gets to go to school going, wow, I've got the support of the Aussie captain behind me who every morning Mitch would send these WhatsApp messages, boys, just did three minutes in the cold shower, got out, did 20 push-ups. Young fella, what have you done? And young fella would write back, you know, yeah, boys, cold shower, or, or he'd be honest and go, missed it this morning, lads. And Mitch would say, well, how's your headspace? And he'd go, not good. And Mitch would say, get out and do 20 push-ups, mate. Like, we're in this together. Like you were saying, beyond that winner's circle, going beyond that and getting to meet these people and for who they really are, what we realise is they're just like us, you know. They're normal humans. Are they any better? No. Are they different? Yeah. You know, they're different in the sense that they go, you know what, I'm going to take this on. I'm going to turn right and I'm going to achieve what I set out to achieve. I'm not going to let anyone else take that from me so 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 do you think that so do you think that the people that look like they're successful in, in the eyes of, of of the general person it's just that they've taken more of the right turns than the person looking in has taken the left turn yeah i mean that's it mate I'm from, i mean and that's i'm that'd be a big generalization to say all like that but i mean the people that i try to spend time well like, no the people i do spend time around now are the ones that say like, I'll say, let's go to the brewery and have, right? And I'll go, yeah, let's go for two. Because i got Saturday sport tomorrow and with the kids and I'm going, I'm going to get out of there. And I'll go, epic. You know, they're the ones who I see go through life. And, yeah, they still have ups and downs. But when they're faced with, that, with the down and they get into the down, they've got tools and skills to get out of it. Or they've got tools and skills to probably avoid it to the depths of the person who says, let's go and have 15. Let's rip in, you know. You know, I do this activity, we do this workshop, the third one. Uh, it's called Rock Timber Glass. Very creative name, mate, title. But the rock is all about, <laughs> like I said, that heavy stuff we can't move. And, and if we don't fix it, you know, a rock is dark, it's cold, it's grey. It, if, we, if we don't move it, barnacles grow on it. It gets rougher, it gets tougher to move, right? The timber in the middle they walk up to, it's a long stick. It can be shaped, it can be broken, you know, it's everything that you're doing in the present to be the person that you need to be. And then the glass at the end, the empty vase, what do you want to fill that with? What do you want that to be full of, right? So for me, I always say, you know, my, my rock was always my old man sort of never being around and taken off and, and him and I never, you know, getting on anymore really and never having that moment having conversations. I get angry 
and it dictated who I was. I was really good at being angry. I was really good at being stupid and being the funny guy, right? Those were my emotions. Um, but it dictated my life. Like, mate, I couldn't go anywhere without having a mothership in the car, which is the six stubbies on ice. I'm a good runner and I'd never go running. I'd never train because, you know, it was getting in the way of my drinking. And that was until that moment where, you know, Tommy Carroll said to me, I'm going to tell you into the best way of my life. And that was the day I got to walk up to the timber and I got to shape my life. And it was bloody hard. You know, you get splinters shaping timber sometimes. You hurt yourself and, and it was hard and it still is hard. But it was the day that I walked into a joint. I saw honesty for the first time. I saw blokes taking off their masks, being their own selves, women doing the same thing. And I had conversations and I owned my shit. And, and it just had this incredible feeling around me of being, I felt proud of myself, you know, that, that I had a night off the beers and just these small wins. And what I was doing was airing my laundry. And, mate, the reason I was doing that, and, and I'm not going to lie to you, mate, like it's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed to have a beautiful world around me, but I still fall into that easy pattern sometimes. And I still go, you know, into the poor me sort of shit. But I want my home, I want my vase to be full of, you know, like peace in my home, my ability to only have two beers, ability to get up at 4.30 in the morning and run 10, 15 Ks. always say, you know, I used to get home at two after 20 schooners. Now I can get up at two and run 20 Ks. But, mate, there are days, and this is the beauty of this workshop and the beauty of the work, I believe, and what we've got to hold on to the most is there are days when I go back to the rock, I'll start to walk back to the rock and I'll go, you know what, I'd love just a full day at the bat and ball on the piss, just give it to me. And I'll get back near that rock and I'll start to feel sorry for myself and I'll start to trip over and I'll go, nah, back to the timber. And back to the timber for me is booking in fortnightly and at the minute I'm every five days with my with my counsellor, Elizabeth, who's an absolute legend. It's not drinking really at all anymore, maybe two beers a week at the moment. I love the old Heaps Normal. They're an epic beer, alcohol-free beer. So getting on those. And, and just being honest with myself and, and stopping voices in my head that say, Tommy, you're a shit bloke, being able to go, oops, no, 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 you're not. You're just a bloke who's doing his best at the minute to turn right because you've always only ever turned left. Yeah, mate, I'll get to the end of answering questions and go, shit, where have I left poor old Hopper? I've, I've chewed his ear off and walked a mile away. <laughs> mate, it, it, just, it just shows, though, I think, where it's it's life's a constant roller coaster where – People think, oh, I'll go to a, a counsellor and I'm going to be 100% fixed. The rest of my life's going to be sweet. But it's not the Mate, case. Mate, it's not. And, then, you know, like here I am sitting. I've got a 99 model Land Rover Defender, right? An old fire truck. Now, I bought it six years ago. The turbo needed fixing and, and, the, and the power steering's always been a bit diffy. Now, if I didn't go in and get the turbo fixed, this thing doesn't operate the best way it could, right? And that's exactly the same for me with my mental health and blokes, all of us in general. Now, we happily go to the dentist when we've got a sore tooth. We'll go to the physio when we've got a busted knee, but we've got this inability to go, shit, I've got something going on with my ticker and with my heart and my head and my emotions. I'm going to go in and get it ironed out. Now, the minute you do that, you change your turbo over, the vehicle starts to go good. Now, does that say that the car's going to run good for run well forever? No. Nah. I'm a big believer, mate, in my truck, my old girl, which I love dearly, is I change the oil every 5,000 kilometres. Most blokes say, oh, I do 10 or 15,000. I change the oil every uh, 5,000 and I change the fuel filter every 10,000. You know, and the reason I do that is because I want this truck running the best as it can. I don't want to wait for it to start to splatter and, 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 and splat and, sm and blow shitty smoke. And it's the same with myself. 
I want to. I made a commitment this year that every two weeks, like I said, I come to the counselor and I change my oil over. You know, I'll walk into my counselor and I'll go and I'll use lines like I go, "Oh, Elizabeth, I'm getting a fair bit of noise out of the back left wheel at the moment," and she'll laugh and she'll go, "Sit down, darling, and let's have a chat about what's going on." And I'll tell her and she'll say, well, look, you're doing this because, you know, you're letting the wounded boy talk too much. You're not, you're not being the functioning adult that, you, that you're, you're capable of. So, mate, we, if we can get that mindset, like I always say to young blokes, like, boys, if you knew going to see an counsellor was going to make you a better mate, would you do it? And they go, yeah. And I go, well, it is. You know, like you're going to be able to listen to your mates better. You're going to be able to understand yourself more. If you knew going and seeing a counsellor was going to make you a better surfer, better footballer, better athlete, would you do it? And they go, yeah. And I go, well, it is because you're going to get discipline in and around your life. You're going to get discipline with your training. You know, you're going to learn why you love surfing and playing sport. And then the big one that gets them is they go, boys, if you knew you were going to meet more ladies and have better productive relationships, would you see a counsellor? Their hands go through the roof. And you go, you know, you will because you're going to be able to have conversations that go past the how are you, you know, which is a big thing that we talk about with find your feet. Like you're going to be able to have conversations that, you know, I reckon a lot of women are sort of yearning for, you know, there's this inability of us blokes to sort of go past the, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. Um, the minute you go, yeah, I'm good. You know, like I'm, at the moment I'm, I've got a mate who's struggling a bit and, and I'm, and I'm feeling for him. You know, they go, geez, you're a good bloke. I haven't heard that before. You know, so yeah, we've just what we've got to do, mate, is is normalise it, I guess. Yeah, mate, hundred percent, mate. You're a legendary bloke. That what you've done and, and achieved, it's amazing, mate. And uh, you're on the right path for sure. So well done. And people can go to your website to uh, check check things out and, and book in, mate, for sure. Yeah, go to findyourfeet.org. dot Always got to say your feet, mate. I'm a Queenslander, so. We only got colour TV up there a few months ago. We're all pretty happy. Um, and vegetables. We've all had scurvy for the last 400 years. But, mate, and then as well as that, yeah, so get on there. There's all the information on how to get a, a workshop um, booked at your school or, your, or your, your business, you know, love corporate workshops. And then, mate, the, a big one and a big part for Find Your Feet is that whole social media, you know, like at Find Your Feet again. Um, because, mate, I, I see a lot of what would you call it, stuff on social media that are encouraging young blokes, I would say to make the wrong choices. I really hope that when you get on Find Your Feet and you see and read the stories and you, and you pick up on a few tools and skills, you can walk away going, all right, tomorrow morning I'm not the best at going for a run. So Find Your Feet reckons if you leave your shoes at the front door with your shorts and your shirt and your socks ready to go, boom. You know, that's going to be the best way to get out belting the pavement in the morning. If that's the smallest thing that you can pick up, then, you know, our social media, um, my social media outcome has been achieved. So, yeah, mate, we need all the support, all the support we can get. Keep going. 100%, mate. Well done. Now, at the end of the uh, interview, I do uh, a segment, Five Fun Facts. So, yeah. we'll move through uh, five quick questions, mate. Answer it however you want. Uh, the first one is, what are the best or worst purchases? Mate, the best purchase to be this truck that I'm in because I just live in it and <laughs> I love it and the smell of it. And the worst, geez, you know what? I'll, I'll give you this. It might hopefully doesn't sound too righteous, but the worst purchase I've ever made <laughs> is that beer when you go, let's have one more. That's probably the, <laughs> the worst. The one more is the worst. Mate, I've, uh... Yeah. Yeah, I've done that many a time, mate. I've done it many a time. The old snake bit. <laughs> Cats or dogs and why? 
pan lickers every day of the week. Yeah. Um, you know, a good pan licker. Um, Nico Hines rang me yeah. the other day. He's got a little dog and, and he said, mate, I had no idea that these things were, uh, how much love they gave you, you know? And, um, and that's what I love about my hound, mate. I can be the greatest mug of all time. And she's 16 years old. She'll look over at me and go, you're a dickhead back there. Go back home and, and pull your head in. <laughs> so yeah, dogs, mate. <laughs> what are you most proud of? Um, mate, that's a big one. Oh, mate, most proud of, geez, probably most proud of where I've gotten to in my life and who I am, but also, um, shitload of work to do, mate, and a lot of holes to, to make up for. So yeah, I have to say myself, my counselor would want me to say that too. Uh, what's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? Oh, geez. I, I read that one before and thought, geez, mate, the most interesting thing that I've read or heard this week, mate, I can almost, I'd love to ask you that one. I think, you know, this one might touch with you guys, those those legends that went missing in Indo, you know, and, and, and they were found. Yeah. Um, I love the text that the young bloke wrote to his dad. Dad, I love you. We're all safe and sound. You know, talk soon. I, I, I really loved in that the resilience. I just knew those young people were safe, but I love the fact that that's how he reached out to his old man to saying, hey, like, I'm good. Talk to you soon. Go and surf and, you know. That for me was a really good one. I love that because just quickly, I would have been the bloke who would have gone, here's an epic opportunity to get some attention. You know, I would have gone selfish yeah. on it and these legends were just proper. So, yeah, that's probably a mm-hmm. big one for me, mate. Mate, what song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? Uh, that's a really good one, mate. It's called It's it's Who I Am. Yeah, emotional on that one, mate. But it's Brad Cox, amazing country singer and and mate, I I got to get to know who I am truly, and I got to have more conviction and be more hard nosed on who I am. So it's a great song about a young fella who, you know, loves the bush, loves the land, and and that's who he is. And and everyone else can sort of wave wave from the bleachers because that's the man that he is. And and um yeah, so it's who I am by Brad Cox. Great stuff, Tommy mate. It's uh, a pleasure to have you in the shack having a chat, and uh, we'll have to catch up some stage and. And uh, have a chat, and mate, it's. Uh, I think what you're doing, you should be very proud of yourself. It's something that's going to help a lot of people. And I think while you're going through that, it's also going to help yourself. So well done, mate. Mate, I appreciate it. I'll we'll we'll come. I'll come south of the bends, all the way to Newport. And we'll have a we'll have a quick two somewhere, some sometime soon. We'll set the boundary ropes. We'll have a you quick need two, to, mate. Yeah. Yeah, once I get to three, four, it ends up 10, 20. <laughs> mate, yeah, the old black hole, I've been known to fall in there myself. All right, mate, catch you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Hobo. Now let's go to Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack for Beach Banner, we've got Eddie. He's uh, come on over the last couple, few years now as a lifeguard, but... I want to get him in and talk about uh, big wave riding because he's right into it. He gets out there in some massive swells and probably a good thing to have when you're going to be a lifeguard. So, Eddie, how are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Hop. Thanks for having me, mate. Oh, good. Well, talk about the last big swell, which was that um, you guys went out and hit the East Coast. But I think there's people saying that, you know, the wave's over 20 foot off Coogee Island. And uh, tell us a bit about it. You uh Knew the swell was coming and you decided to head out to Coogee? 
Yeah, this was definitely a, uh, a special event. Um, I remember just even the days and the week leading up to it, we were constantly checking uh, the swell report, like updating it every few hours because, you know, they call these big swells out so far in advance. And a lot of the times uh, when when they happen, it's a lot smaller than what they, they say. So right up until the night before, they were still calling it's going to be between six and seven meters and it's a really high period. And so we were just thinking, okay, well, this is, this is legit. You know, all the, all, all the forecasting websites are saying it's, it's going to be the biggest swell that I'd ever seen uh, anyone call before. And, and most people were agreeing saying it's the biggest swell they've seen. Went to bed that the night before, pretty nervy, not really knowing what to expect. Uh, but sure enough, we've all got up really early and, and rolled down to um, Wedding Cake Island to the car park there and just, yeah, seeing these huge white water lines breaking just so far out. And we, we, it was one of those moments where we just all, we kind of met there. There was about four or five of us and uh, a couple of boys were already out the back. They got out there just as it was getting light. And it was, no one wanted to watch it for too long. It was just... We didn't know how big it was. We just would, it was so I am. So we just got suited up and, and went down to jump off the rock. And it was sort of then when we were going down to the rock jump that we just saw this, um, saw this set break about a kilometer or two kilometers further out than uh, from where the usual takeoff spot, uh, spot is out there. And then at that point, we all realized it was, yeah, it was <laughs> definitely the biggest swell that um, had ever broke there, the least of what I'd seen and um, all my friends had seen. So, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty rattling seeing this little this bommy break so far out. So we've we've managed to jump off the rocks and uh, paddle out just in this massive body of water in this huge channel, not really knowing where to sit. It was just yeah, I was kind of looking to some of the lo- local boys like Lockie Lamarsney. He spent a lot of time out there, and he managed to get himself in a really good position actually for this sort of first set that came, but. Unfortunately, it was uh, I was just a little bit on his inside, and uh, amongst some of the others, and and by the time this like this, we would have waited maybe fifteen or twenty minutes for a set, and uh, it was just an absolute bomb. It might have been twenty twenty five foot, and it just completely broke on our heads and cleaned us all up. So, <laughs> yeah, it didn't it didn't last too long that surf, but it was it was an, yeah an amazing experience just to be out there in those conditions. And um, just know that, you know, you can get through, like having that has such a big wave land on you and hold you, hold you under is, uh, yeah, it's something just mentally, it's a mental challenge more than such a physical one because you just, you're just so unaware of like where you are uh, in the ocean and then when you're going to come up. So it's just really a, a good lesson to stay calm in the ocean. And what was your thought when you saw that foam ball just it was breaking you knew you were going to get smashed. I think a lot of people snapped their boards on that one. Yeah, that was it. Was such a surreal moment. Honestly, just I, I just thought, wow, okay, this is like nothing I've ever experienced or thought I'd ever experience. And and I, I kind of there was a point of when I when I saw it, I was just I felt a bit sick in the stomach. But then when I went under and I just relaxed, I thought, oh, actually, just enjoy it. Like, just you know, you can you can just have it make this sort of fun. And I just actually was able just to relax my whole body and just viewed it as it's just been like a ride, just like a roller coaster ride. And then, and then uh, it's funny though, just that little like attitude change that I had in that moment, just thought, well, 
there's nothing I can do about this right now. I've just got to, I've just got to accept that this is where I am. Um, and I've got myself in this position. So you may as well enjoy it. Cause that's why we're out here. We're all out here to enjoy the ocean uh, no matter what scenarios we're put in. And I felt like that really helps that definitely got me through the first wave. And then there was two others behind that, which, um, yeah, well, so <laughs> they weren't as enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> and mate, what was the hold down like? Was you getting tumbled and it rumbled around a fair bit? Yeah, it's a bit of everything. It just it'll just thrash you, and and you'll do a dozen summer summer circles or yeah or, or somersaults, and then you'll just be really calm and and it'll be really slow, and and then you'll get pushed deep, and it'll be like cold and dark, and then you'll come up into like a new part of the water where it's all warm. And then it, it, you kind of get an idea of that you're coming close to the surface by how light it is. And then, you know, that whitewash has got so much oxygen in it and light in it. And so you kind of, and then it gets brighter and brighter. Even though my eyes are closed the whole time, I'm, my eyes aren't open, but I can just feel its light. But even still, when you think you're, you're getting to the, to, to the surface, you're still two or three meters below I remember just like taking a few final like swims being like all right I've got to come up now I, I think I'm right there but it's still I was I was nowhere near it so yeah it's just <laughs> it's one of those things that you just you're not sure what it's going to be like but at the end of the day we all get through it so which is good yeah and as you said the secret is and I suppose it's a good message for everybody that goes in the water even if you go into you know, and get caught in a rip and it's a small day, people that drown, the secret is is trying to panic, even though that's very hard not to do. Yeah, exactly. That's right. I think you can totally see now how panicking you just exert so much energy and use so much oxygen, like in such a short space of time. Um, so that's just a massive learning curve there, knowing that you can just totally relax every part of your body and that's just going to give you a lot more time to be underwater uh, in these circumstances. Well, Eddie, mate, thanks for coming in and uh, having a chat, telling your story about the, the big waves. I'm sure the, we're into winter now, so I reckon there'll be uh, some more big swells on its way over the next couple of months. Yeah, let's hope so. Keen to get out there again. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Penelope and uh, she's from uh, the US in uh, LA and she said, uh, I love listening to the podcast. One day I want to get down uh, to Bondo Beach and see what it's like in real life. Well, Penelope, yep, it's uh, put it on the bucket list. It's always good to come and visit Bondi, see what it's like. Magnificent place, uh, especially uh, I think in, in that March, April, May part of the year it's uh amazing when it starts cooling off a little bit but uh still beautiful in the water so hopefully you get a chance to come down and uh, catch up one day at bondi until then i'll catch you all next week thanks everyone for listening remember to subscribe to life's a beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions comments or follow us on our social media channels which you can find in our show notes That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.